of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas calling to mind all the prophecies and all that happened that we would remember what this season is about. And it's so important for us as believers to be a light shining during this time, especially, I mean, all the time, right? But during this time where so many, like Tommy was saying, caught up in the gifts and the stress and the spending money, but yet we are the ones shining that say we are celebrating because Jesus came. He came for us. And so I'm going to read some of these scriptures today, and we're going to just I, the, the whole purpose, the reason why this is in my heart to do is because I want to call to mind the reason why we celebrate. Because we know we celebrate Jesus coming, but what did it say in the Bible? What was leading up to this? And really, all from the beginning of time, everything has been to that was up until that moment that Jesus came, right? It was all building to this place. So we're going to start in Genesis 3. I'm going to read three main passages, four main passages today. But in Genesis 3, this is the fall of man. So Adam and Eve are in the perfect garden with God, and everything is perfect. There is no sin in the garden. They have not sinned yet, right? And they're living in this perfect communion with God, in this perfect relationship with God. Um, and then what happens? The serpent comes, that evil stinking devil comes as a serpent and it says he was more crafty than any beast of the field that which the Lord had made and he said to, to the woman indeed has God said you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die the serpent said surely you will not die for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, how terrifying at this point, right, in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to man and said, where are you? He, sa he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the blame game starts, right? The man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. And then the Lord says to the serpent, he curses the serpent. And then verse 15, he says to the woman, well, we'll do 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than any cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the first. So sin happens, and immediately God has salvation in mind. How amazing. 
from the very first instance that it happened, he was not mean saying, I'm kicking you out of the garden and cursing the man. And, you know, that was a result of sin. He already had the plan of salvation. He said, the, her seed, her, uh, whoever's born of a woman will bruise your head, stomping on the head of the serpent, and you will bruise his heel. He's prophesying of Jesus to come. He said, you know what? I've got this covered. I'm going to send my son because you made a big mistake. That's how incredible our God in the beginning of time. And then you go into Isaiah, right? Isaiah is about 3,000 years later after that Genesis. So 3,000 years, we know a lot of the stories that happened, right, from Abraham, and they're walking with God. They know God. Israel's the people of God. But there's a lot of stuff happening and distancing them from God, right? A lot of sin, a lot of wars, infiltration from other culture, other nations. It's coming in and separating them from God, causing more and more distance. Isaiah prophesies, in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he's prophesying again from the beginning of time. God prophesied. God spoke and said, the woman will bear a child that will crush the serpent's head. And Isaiah, tapping in by the same spirit, says a virgin, it becomes a little more specific, right? A virgin will give birth to a son, and she'll bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So that's not even just a name that has a cool meaning. It was literally prophesying that Jesus was going to come and be with us. That's what he was going to do. He was going to come and be with us again. He was going to make a way for restored relationship. God had this plan in mind. And even though time was passing, 3,000 years, he was saying, don't forget I've got you covered. Th a Savior is going to come. One will come and restore all things. Don't forget, I have not forgotten you, my people. I will restore. And the nation of Israel is actually still waiting till this day because they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They're still waiting for that Savior because of these prophecies. If you look in then Isaiah chapter 9, Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. This is, he's prophesying again. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Who is the light? Jesus, light of the world, right? He's not talking about some spiritual light. He's talking about the man Jesus coming in glory and shining. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. The light will shine on them. And then... It says in verse 4, you shall break the yoke of their burden and staff on their shoulders. And then verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful. His name will be called Counselor. It's those are two separate things, by the way. It's not Wonderful Counselor. His name will be called Wonderful his name will be called 
Counselor. His name will be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on from when it happens till forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So he's prophesying again, a child will be born to us. They've known from the beginning of time that the Savior was going to become come as a baby. That's an incredible miracle in itself, right? And then we l- jump ahead to Luke. Isaiah was eight, seven to 800 years before Luke. Now, there's a lot of prophecies in between Isaiah and Luke, but Isaiah was prophesying this. Can you even imagine a prophetic word? If a, nowadays, if a prophetic word doesn't happen within a week, we call him false prophet. Anyone would have called Isaiah a false prophet 800 years between his prophetic word and the coming of Jesus. But God had a perfect timing for all things. Luke 1 Verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering, what kind of salutation is this? Now, that shows her humility, right? She's like, favored one, who? Are you talking to me? I don't know. She's perplexed. She's like, what what do you mean I'm favored? The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall name him Jesus, and he will great he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Right? That's what Isaiah had prophesied. The increase of his government will have no end. He will be on the throne of David forever. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Wouldn't that be kind of concerning? How am I going to get pregnant, Lord? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is an insane encounter. And can you imagine from Genesis to Isaiah, now to the book of Luke, thousands of years later, this moment in time, an angel descends from heaven, bringing a message to a, a regular girl who's a virgin, who had found favor with God, and it says, now is the time. The Savior of the world 
is coming. He's going to break the bondages. He's going to break oppression. He's going to be the light among you in a dark land. He's going to be God with us, Emmanuel. They had not had that until this point. And all of a sudden, it's like, boom, Jesus is coming, and he's going to be the provision for our big mistake in the garden. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam will become a life-giving spirit. Who's the last Adam? Jesus. The first Adam made a big mistake, right? There's a, there's a couple of really cool correlations in these things. Um, like when they're in the garden and the serpent says, you will become like God by eating the fruit, right? They're knowing experientially between good and evil. They w- weren't going to become like God in the sense of position, right, or power or authority because there's no one like God, but they were going to become like God and being able to know differentiating, differentiating good and evil. Um, so the serpent was saying, you'll become like God. And what happened with Jesus? He became like man. So we did something in our arrogance and in our sin to become like God, the most high one, and he in his humility and in his lowliness became like man. When they were, when they had sinned, right, they were hiding from God. They had run from him. They were afraid because of their sin. And what does God do? He goes and he finds them. What did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to find all those hiding in the shame of their sin to pull them out and say, no, I've made a way for you to be free. And each one of us here today have encountered that, have we not? And multiple times that Jesus, the Savior of the world, he searches us out. Can you remember your life before Christ? How depressing, how lonely, how shameful, how awful it was, broken, anger, you know, whatever we, each one of us had stuff before we met the living God, and he sought us out, and he keeps seeking us out to bring light into his, into our lives. The last Adam, Adam lived in a perfect world, and yet he sinned, and the whole world fell. Adam and Eve were in a perfect world, and he fell. Where did Jesus come? Into a very imperfect world, and he lived perfectly. So the first Adam in a perfect world, and yet he still sinned. The last Adam, Jesus, in an imperfect, sinful world, and he lived sinless. He lived perfectly to redeem us back. That's how amazing, like, the, the correlation between the two. He said, you know, Adam, humans, 
they messed it up big time. They lived in a perfect world. How can you mess up a perfect world? Like there wasn't temptation. There wasn't sin until that moment with a serpent. They were walking in this perfect relationship with God, and we messed it up. But Jesus, the great one, lived in an imperfect world where there was sin all around, darkness all around, temptation all around, and he lived perfectly for our sake to redeem us back. Lastly, Romans 5. 5 verses 12 through 15. Paul got this revelation as well. He's writing the church in Rome after Jesus had come. And he says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For, the one ha- for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned, much more those who receive abundant grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all through one man's disobedience many were made sinners and one man's obedience the many will be made righteous so jesus came to turn it all around adam sinned and it caused all of us to fall under the curse of sin by one man stinking adam right kick him for doing that But then through the one man, Jesus, we've all sinned, right? We all know we've all fallen into sin sin and fallen short. But this is saying through Adam's sin, all the world came under sin. And so Jesus, being the glorious, amazing God that he is, he came. And through one man's obedience... What does the scripture say? He was obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We're not made righteous by anything that we have done. It's by the one man's obedience. Jesus, he came and he lived a perfect life so that we could be righteous in the righteousness of God. That is what we're celebrating in this season. The first advent, that word advent means coming. The Christians wanted to celebrate his first coming, 
the, the coming of his birth when Jesus first came, but also the coming of him into our lives by the Holy Spirit. When he left and he left the Holy Spirit, they celebrated the coming of his spirit in us. And then the third coming is what? He's coming again. That's what our expectant hope is for. He came once and he's coming again for his people. And we watch and we wait expectantly for the king of glory, the lamb who was slain, to come and to redeem his people. That will be a glorious day. Just like they were waiting for a savior, now we wait for his return. And this first advent is called hope, the hope of his coming and th that he came and the hope of him coming again. He is coming again. And so as we're celebrating, even throughout this week, you know, in our workplaces with the people that were around, we were singing a song this morning, Joy, Unspeakable Joy. We don't have that joy unless we actually meditate on what has happened because of Jesus coming, what that means for us. He broke bondages. He set us free. He descended from heaven and became a man, laying aside all of his rights and then living perfectly. Do you know how hard that is? We each do because we fail out it every single day. We can't even live a day without sinning. And I'm talking about the smallest things like self-exaltation. That's one or pride. Those are like the slyest what seem like small sins. They're not small. They're huge. And yet we fall in those every day when we're being selfish or we think of ourselves more than others. Jesus never thought of himself more than others. Ever. That's incredible and that's just in one way that he was perfect he was perfect in every way never giving into temptation and he, he did it for the joy set before him that's you and me we were the joy set before him he had his eyes on the prize he said i want relationship restored with all of humanity and I'm going to live perfectly so I can have relationship. I want the garden in the earth again. We have the garden in the earth again by the spirit, by his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. Like it was in the garden, even so now we have relationship, full access to God to hear his voice. And we can approach him at any time. And that's what we're celebrating. And we should be, especially in this time of remembrance, the most joyful, light-beaming, shining people there are around us. Don't come under the heaviness of other people who have made this season an idol. Let's make it for real in our lives as a community about the Savior of the world who came, and let it be an opportunity for you to preach the gospel to everyone around, right? It's the perfect time to. Every person, I'm working part-time at Kohl's, every person I'm checking out, they talk about the heaviness of the season and blah, 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 I was spending so much money, like Tommy was saying, and I'm saying, remember what Christmas is about. Jesus came. In the five seconds that I get them, you've got to be sure that I am telling them the real reason 
that Christmas is here. And in the same way, each of us, let's make that commitment to shine. Jesus didn't come for nothing. He came to shine, and he still wants to shine through us. We are celebrating that he came as a baby, that he came to live in us. That's phenomenal. And that he's coming again to redeem us and to bring us back and to turn all things around for his glory and where we will live eternally with him. (laughs) That's insane. So, Father, we just want to thank you today and remind ourselves of how awesome you are that you came and you took on flesh so that we could be restored in relationship to you. Father, I pray that as this week goes on, that our hearts would become more and more and more excited because of who you are, what you've done, that we would shine brilliantly as lights in the world and as a reminder of who you are and what this season is about. Let joy bubble up inside of us as we think of the, the prophecies that the mo- from the moment we fell, you had a redemptive promise waiting. You didn't waste any time. You redeemed us from the beginning of time. And we thank you for that, God, that you loved us so much that from the beginning, from the moment we fell, you had the promise of salvation waiting. You are a great God, and we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.